Wow, it feels like a, a huge honor to be the last uh, guest speaker before your head pastor comes back. I, I'm super close with Isaac. We've been in communication all summer, and um, I, I have a sense that he has some really great stuff to share with you guys. Um, and one, one of the things Isaac said to me in the spring was, uh, this is not a throwaway summer. Like we expect God to, we expect, we expect God to show up, and we expect um, growth and for us to thrive uh, this summer. And we're gonna be looking at miracles. And you guys have been looking at miracles all uh, summer. And I asked some of the staff and some of the volunteers um, yesterday and this morning, what are some, th- some themes that have appeared? I- I've noticed as you, as you study through a particular series, you know, we've, I've, I've listened to or preached through series um, on the parables, um, on Psalms, on uh, the lots of different series, what happens is some themes sort of start to appear. And I would ask you, especially if you've been here quite a bit over the summer, what are some things that um, you've had, uh, I don't know, I'd, I'd guess many different preachers, right? I'm, I'm guessing probably up to maybe 10, I don't know, eight to 10 different preachers. Um, so eight to 10 different people came and talked to you here about, about miracles that Jesus... Um, did. What are some themes that have emerged? What are some things that have, uh, you've noticed almost every week someone says? So I asked some of the staff and some of the volunteers this very question. And here's what some of them said. Some people said, Jesus, uh, Jesus seems to like he's feeding people all the time. That's a God I want to be around. Yeah. <laughs> I like food. Okay. Um, uh, some people said that he's on the lookout for, for people to see them where they're at, notices people. Some people said that, that the speakers this summer have emphasized how important it is to share the miracles that we experience when Jesus does a miracle in our life because it has the capacity to profoundly change the lives of other people. Um, some people said that Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. He imitated God, and we are called to imitate God as well. Someone also said that Jesus sees people that others don't. Amen. Jesus sees people that other people don't. Jesus sees you when you feel like people just don't notice. I love that. Um, And he stops and interacts with people like us. That Jesus acts out of compassion. It's not, um, someone this morning said, it's not just a magic trick. Jesus isn't just doing a magic trick. And one of the things that um, also came out was that God has a process. That we have a lot of things in our own life that we think we know what needs to happen. And that God operates in a different process a lot of times. It doesn't follow his timeline. And I think all of these things are going to come out in our final miracle that we're going to study together. If you have the uh, Bible with you, you can open up to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 11. When I was a kid uh, and Christmas came, my parents would wrap up the Christmas presents, and I, my, I almost physically could not handle the presents being under. I would shake them. I would, I, would, I would sniff them, okay? Rarely did that help, okay? I would like weigh them, I would pick them up, and my parents used to put random stuff in the presents to try to trick us, you know? Like they put like 
like a, like a ball in there. Like, why is it like shaking? It's a ball. Okay, but my sister took it to the next level. My sister actually opened up one of her presents before Christmas. Um, she peeked at her present. It was a leather jacket, and my parents were super um, angry. She told me, she's like, Tyler, I, I, I peeked. And I was like, what do you mean you peeked? That's like Christmas violation, you know? Um, she's like, I opened up my present, and it was a leather jacket. And I was like, oh my gosh. Mom, mom, Danica just told me that she opened up and my mom said, no, she didn't. She wouldn't do that. She said, it's a leather jacket. And my mom was like, oh, heck to the no. Okay, I cannot believe you just. So she like just peeked. Uh, okay, so confession time. This is church. Okay, confess your sins. Do we have any peekers in the room? How many of you guys peeked at, have you guys peeked at present? Oh, oh, we're, oh, we're confessing on behalf of other people. People are pointing. You guys peeked? Okay, I want to hear about your stories. Bulby. You're a pastor. I wasn't there. Get your stuff together. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. So we got some peekers in here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the reason I, I opened with this story is because we're going to read a story about a waiting. And waiting is painful. Like, we don't like to wait. I, 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 I can relate. I, I, hate, I hate waiting. Um, and we're also going to talk about disappointment this morning, as Chris uh, mentioned. Disappointment. Waiting and disappointment. These are two of the most difficult things that we encounter. And I also want to give a little bit of a caveat before we begin, that sometimes when you come, and I've been thinking about you guys this summer, um, I, I was able to come in July and I'm here now, and I was thinking about studying miracles. And I have to be really honest, for the last four or five years, thinking about miracles in the Bible is kind of hard for me. You know why? Because I experienced a tragedy that I prayed that God would help me and save me from, and he didn't. And I see people nodding in the room because you know exactly what I'm going to say. That when you come to church and you read the scriptures and you hear someone stand up and talk about miracles, does it ever cross your mind, like, how come I didn't get a miracle? Yeah. In 2017, my best friend, going back to high school, passed away. He had, died, he had uh, contracted uh, cancer. He had cancer. He was 37 years old, had five kids. And we prayed like crazy. We had benefit concerts. One of my close friends um, was a match, donated his kidney, has a scar that stretches from his chest down to his belly button. And we prayed for him. And he died. And I'm aware that when you come and you read the scripture and you have someone talk about the miraculous power of God, that in the back of some people's mind, in the back of my own mind, as I was studying for this message this morning, it's like, how come this didn't happen for Isaac? I don't have a good answer, but I just want to acknowledge that talking about miracles is, um, is not always easy. It's not always easy. But I wanna, I wanna just, with that frame, I wanna read this story of, of Lazarus in John chapter 11. And I wanna make a couple observations about this, okay? If you'll follow along, that'd be great. Here's what the Bible says. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love 
is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, um, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you and yet you are going to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought that he only meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to him, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. And after he, she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with, with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, Lord, see how, uh, see how he loved them. See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, 
By this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there for days, uh, four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the, of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We all say amen together. Amen. I want to make a few short observations with you this morning about this passage that I think is incredibly powerful. Um, so we'll just pull a few things straight out of the scripture. First, the thing I notice is that Jesus waited. He gets word from Mary and Martha that their brother is sick. Please come and help. He's performed many miracles up until this point. Um, and uh, he's known, he's famous for being a healer. And these, these women say, Jesus, come and save this person that you love. And it says that Jesus it says that Jesus waited. It's the most striking feature in this, one of the most more striking features in this story. He stayed where he was two more days. Jesus' delay caused great distress and suffering for Mary, Martha, and the community. Jesus' action caused great distress for Mary, Martha, and the community, and Lazarus, by the way. Like if Lazarus was sick, don't you think he also wanted Jesus to come and visit? The actions of Jesus caused great distress and suffering for these people. We can't escape this. I feel terrible saying this to you, but suffering is a part of life and sometimes suffering, we can, from our interpretation, feels like it's coming from Jesus. Do you guys get that? We have to address this as Christians. Jesus, the creator of the universe, took an action that caused distress and trouble in, our, in these people's lives. Is it possible that sometimes distress and trouble in our own life comes from an enemy or from our own poor choices or from sin? But isn't it also possible that challenging times come from God too? That God might want to teach us something about himself or about ourselves. If we reject all suffering, if we reject all suffering in our lives, then we run the risk of missing something that Jesus is at work in. But it is a difficult message and an uncomfortable message. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I texted my friend who has a scar from his chest to his, to his belly button this, uh, yesterday. And I said, how am I supposed to preach about Lazarus coming back from the dead after all we've been through? And you know what he said? It was my close friend who gave his kidney to his brother-in-law in hopes that he would live and he died. You know what he said? He said, the thing about Mary and Martha and Lazarus is, is they wanted the healing, but what they really wanted, what they really wanted is they wanted to avoid suffering. They were desperate to avoid suffering. They wanted comfort. They didn't want trouble. They didn't want discouragement. They didn't want to suffer. And that's not how life works. We all suffer. If we run from suffering, if our main primary goal in life is to not suffer, then we miss 
I don't think, okay, look, let me be clear. I don't think, I'm not trying to say that, that we should seek out suffering. Like, I don't think that's correct. But if our primary goal in life is to avoid suffering, then we might miss something that God is doing. But it's so hard because, because we, really, we really want to avoid suffering. Another thing I noticed from this, out, other than just Jesus waiting, is that this incident happened for the glory of God. Jesus makes it clear why he waited. In verse, five, verse four, he says, it's for the glory of God, so that God's son may be glorified through it. In verse 15, he says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad. That's kind of messed up, I feel like. For, for your sake, I'm glad. Why? So that you might believe, in verse 15. In the preceding chapters, we see that Lazarus, uh, or in the following chapters, we see that Lazarus' miraculous healing will lead many people to follow Jesus. If you keep reading on to uh, verse, uh, later verses and also chapter 12. This reminds me of, of just, just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 9. Jesus encounters a blind person, a person who doesn't have any sight. And the disciples asked this question. It was a common understanding at the time. I think I might have mentioned this when I was here in July. But the disciples asked this question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What does that reveal about the, about the disciples? They believed that sin was the cause of death. And what does Jesus say? He rejects this common understanding of physical incapacity. He says, neither this person nor his parents sinned. Why? Jesus says, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Sometimes we go through trials so that God's glory could be, could be manifest in our life. And I think that's an important, uh, important for us to remember as we navigate the ups and downs and challenges. Another, another thing that I, I um, uh, notice in this text is how many times this, this text uh, emphasizes that Jesus cared about this, these people. Jesus deeply cared. He says he was deeply moved. It said that Jesus wept. Jesus wept bitterly. I teach uh, American history, and when we teach the American founding, it's always fun to talk about religion. Many of America's founders were religious, and some were not, kind of like today. Many of us are religious, and many of us are not. Um, and there was a, a common... Um, uh, belief at the time uh, called deism. Have you guys ever heard of that? Here's the idea of a deist, right? Um, um, a deist is someone who uh, believes that in, in sort of like the, 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 the founding story, founding, American founding, um, the, the creation story in the Bible, God of the Bible, but that God got so frustrated with human beings, you could see why God might get frustrated with human beings. I would if I was God. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not God. Um, but uh, he got frustrated that he sort of just abandoned the world and the world is sort of just spinning through the cosmos, unaided. God is uninvolved. God doesn't care. God is distant. But God's real, but God's distant, right? Many of our founders, uh, some of our founders were, were deists. So for example, you might have heard of Thomas Paine. 
Thomas Paine is famous um, for uh, writing Common Sense, a pamphlet. Oh, I'm going into history mode. I'm sorry. I'll discipline myself. But he, uh, Thomas Paine, if you want to read, if you want to read someone who would have been considered a deist, you can read his Age of Reason, which is very skeptical of Christian. Not skeptical isn't even the right word. He reject, outright rejects Christianity. Uh, Jefferson's another one. Jefferson uh, famously wrote this, the Jeffersonian Bible, where Jefferson found it, it appropriate to edit the Bible and recreate a better copy. <laughs> Tells you a little bit about Jefferson. Um, Here's the deal. This passage that we just read, I just don't understand how you can read this passage and believe that God doesn't care about people and isn't intimately involved. I just, I just when I read the Bible, I read a, about a God, a, about Jesus, who cares deeply for his people. God cares deeply for us. Sometimes when we go through trials, we, we, we're tempted to think that. I've thought that before. Have you ever thought that when you've gone through a, a difficult time, when you've suffered? Have you ever thought God doesn't care? God doesn't care about what I'm going through. Or God's not listening. I totally understand that. It's relatable. And you're safe here. And, and, and you can, you know what? You can even just admit that and confess it and just say it, you know, if you felt that way. I have. And that's okay to feel that way. But when I read the Bible, which is the authority in my life of God, I don't read about someone who doesn't care. God really does. In those moments, it's, it's hard to forget, but God really does care deeply. God really cares deeply. I also think we can learn a lot about ourselves. Let's examine this response to tragedy. The sisters call uh, for Jesus because their brother is sick and they both have an understanding that Jesus can and will heal their brother. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Both of them said this. In fact, even the crowd of Jewish people said this. If Jesus just would have come. Now, these people have different theologies too. You know, Mary and Martha. Remember the famous story where they sat at, uh, you know, um, Martha, um, excuse me, Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Remember Luke chapter 10? Mary, uh, Mary sat at Jesus' feet, listening to the teacher in that conflict, and then Martha was off doing things. In fact, I think I might have even shared a message here not too long ago from that passage. But they both had a similar response. Depending on their theologies, they both had a similar response. If you just would have been here. To me, that shows that this is a very um, human, universal response to suffering. I think about Job. You guys ever think about Job? You ever read Job before? Job is a book about suffering. Job is a book about suffering, and, and, and the response is if God just would have done something, he could have avoided all of this tragedy. But Jesus wanted to expand their view in my, in my, in my, uh, my understanding. Jesus wanted to take their theology. Their theology was not wrong. I mean, are they wrong? They said, if you would have been here, you could have prevented Lazarus from dying. Are they wrong? They're not wrong, but Jesus wanted to expand their view. I came across this quote years ago reading Brian Greene's Fabric of the Cosmos. It's a cool book on science and physics and astronomy and a bunch of weird other stuff. I don't even know why I read it, because I never read books like this, but I, I read it because one of my friends recommended it, and it was actually really cool. But here's this, he was writing about this guy named Richard Feynman, uh, Feynman, a Nobel Prize winning quantum physicist, and I have a quote that we'll put up on the screen here. 
He said, Richard Feynman could experience the fragrance and beauty of a flower as fully as anyone else. So think about a flower, fragrance and beauty. But how his knowledge of physics enriched the experience enormously because he could, always, he could also take in the wonder and the magnificent of the underlying molecular, atomic, and subatomic processes. He understood how, how, um, how uh, molecular, atomic, and subatomic processes worked, and so therefore, he could appreciate the scent and beauty of a flower, but he could do it on a much richer, in a much richer way. Mary and Martha are, are a similar way. Their theology is not wrong. They were right. Jesus could have prevented Lazarus from dying. And they said they were right. You know, Jesus asked them, uh, don't you know he's going to rise from the dead? And they were like, yes, he's going to rise from the dead on the last day, um, which we know 1 Thessalonians 4 says is true. But Jesus said, Lazarus is not dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't here so that you can believe Jesus wants to extend our understandings. Mary and Martha in the community understood that Jesus had the capability of healing, but they truly believed that Jesus could have spared their brother from death, but they did not understand what Jesus was trying to get them to understand. He was trying to get them to understand, no, 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 I am the life. I am resurrection. Do you see that? No, no, it's not just about preserving your earthly life for as long as possible and avoiding suffering. Suffering is going to be a part of it. No, but Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am life. I am life. I am bread. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the resurrection. I am life itself. You want to preserve this this life of your brother and totally understand. But I'm trying to get you to understand that life is about something so much greater. I'm here to expand your view. Your, your theology is not wrong, but it's too small. You want to prevent death, but why don't you embrace life? You see that? Mary and Martha's theology is not, not wrong, but it's too small. And I find myself in the same situation. My understanding is, is not, maybe it's not, I hope it's not wrong. I don't think it's wrong, but it's too small. And life following Jesus is a continual invitation to a deeper, richer understanding of what true life really is. Amen? And I love that part of this. I love the part that these people are suffering and going through difficult times and Jesus cares deeply and he still invites them through their suffering into a deeper, richer understanding of who he is. It's beautiful and it's helpful for me as I go through my, um, my life and I experience challenging challenges. When my kids were little, we visited a, a restaurant in Seattle and I love spicy food. Anybody else like spicy food in here? Okay. If you like spicy food, let's, let's talk afterwards. I love spice. Um, so we, I, I got a spicy hamburger, okay? The, the burger was called the tearjerker. <laughs> Do you guys want me to? Okay, I, I wrote down a description of the tearjerker. Can I read it to you? It's a, soup, it's a super beef patty. I'm not sure what makes it super, but it is. Pepper jack cheese, fried onions, jalapeno, habanero mayo. It had something called Satan's Tears Ketchup. And then, and, and then the description of the burger said, ever wonder what it's like when your mouth cries? Now you'll know. 
Okay, so I was like, I'll take one of those, please. Um, so I had one. Of, I had I had the uh, the tearjerker, and um, and and it was it was hot. It was it wasn't it wasn't unbearable, but it was it was pretty hot. So my oldest son Solomon was eight at the time. And he wanted a bite. He saw his dad eating this, and I was like, ooh, this is actually pretty spicy, you know? And he's like, I want to try this, because he also likes spicy. And my wife, Lisa, was like, don't you dare. <laughs> and I was like, he asked for this burger. I want to give him what he asked for, you know? And, um, and my, my, my sister, Danica, said, you don't, you dare, okay? This is not being a good father. And I was like, well, let's just see what happens. <laughs> so I gave, I, I, I let him have a bite. And he took a bite and he chewed it up, you know, and slowly this look of pain came across his face (laughs) and he started like bawling, like he was crying and his face turned red. Yeah. Bad parent. (laughs) Okay. Really bad parent. Um, And, uh, but he, he, now he probably would eat it, would eat it fine. He he just turned 17 uh, on Friday actually. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I got into big, big, big trouble, but you know, he asked for it. So I thought I'd just let him, you know, but I think, I, I, I think this story is a little bit present, uh, in, in the book of John, actually in several places. Um, people ask for, uh, these things from Jesus. And sometimes, have you ever noticed this? Sometimes we ask God for things and we get them. And then the, 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 their challenges, like the getting them caused problems. You ever noticed that before? This is true. Let's read John chapter 12, verses nine through 11. Look at that. Look at what happens to Lazarus. So Lord, please heal Lazarus. Okay. So remember, um, yeah, Jesus comes, raises him from the dead. And here's what John chapter 12, verse nine says. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So people are coming to see Lazarus. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus. For on account of him, many of the Jews were, come, were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. It's reminiscent of the blind man who was healed in John 9, a couple chapters earlier who is healed, has this miraculous healing. And if you keep reading for the blind man, what happens to him? Do you guys remember? The Pharisees call him in and interrogate him twice. Like, how, how could Jesus have done this? And the guy's like, look, I don't know. All I know is I, 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 once I was blind and now I can see, which is where we get that song. If you've experienced Christ, people will notice and there, and there oftentimes will be resistance. This miracle drove the Pharisees, a, a miracle, Jesus performed a miracle and it drove people away. It drove the Pharisees away. It's ironic that Jesus' miracle to life is what led the the Pharisees to decide to kill him. If you read verse 45, it says, therefore many of the Jews came to to visit Mary and see what Jesus had put their uh, their faith in them. But, But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus done. And the chief priests had a meeting and they decided we need to execute Jesus. Have you ever prayed for God's blessing? I have and do all the time for myself and others. But sometimes God's blessing can cause uh, challenges. You read the Beatitudes recently. God's understanding of blessing may not be identically aligned with our own. And finally, I can't leave this, this message without mentioning the most important part in my view. Is that Lazarus was brought to life. A dead man was brought to life. The miracle life. 
Life extended to what was dead. Lazarus had been dead for four days, the text said. The tomb was stinky. These are ways of emphasizing that he was dead, dead. There's no defibrillator, okay? There's, we're not bringing this guy back. He's dead. I've read that uh, Jewish people believe that, that, that souls hung out around a body for about three days. So emphasizing that he was dead for four days is important to this story. Saying he was gone. He was gone. In the story, the, the tomb, uh, the stone is rolled away from the tomb. And Jesus calls out Lazarus and he comes out. And Jesus orders that the grave clothes be removed. Take off the grave clothes, and I love this, and let him go. The bound up. This is similar to another story in John. Let's read it together. John chapter 20. The apostle who, got, who Jesus loved, John, bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. The Bible goes to great lengths to help us understand that Jesus had authority over death itself. He overcame death for Lazarus. He overcame death for himself. In Lazarus' story, he orders, he orders death to be overcome. Remove the stone. Lazarus, come out. Unwrap him and let him go. But in his own story, Jesus is executed on a cross. Who does the work? They arrive at the tomb and the work is done. This is the most important message in the entire scripture, in my, in, my, in my understanding, as I understand it. In Genesis chapter three, we see the, the fall, what we call the fall of man. It's separation, the ultimate separation being death. And in the gospels, what we see is a story about a God who cares and loves us so much that he would come and share in our suffering. He would weep with us. He would be deeply moved with us. He would experience loss. He would experience execution on the cross. And yet, and yet, he has overcome it. And I think about the dead parts of my own life, the places where I need God to touch me, the places where I need to hear God say, roll the tomb away, unwrap the grave cloths, and be free. And God to speak life, you know, speaking life. It's not just a physical life, but God saying to me, Tyler, I am life. This way of God is life. I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me, he will never actually die. This is what has been extended to us a path to follow the Lord in this way. And this, in my mind, is the gospel message illustrated that you and I, who, who become alive when God breathes his spirit into our nostrils. Remember in Genesis 3? He forms a man out of dust. We're earth, and to earth we will return. But when does a man become alive? Do you remember what Genesis 3 tells us? I guess this would be Genesis 2. Genesis 2. 
We become alive when God breathes his spirit into our nostrils and we inhale the spirit of God who is life. It's not our bodies. It's not our bodies. God has the power to give us true life, true bread, and true water. The kind of water we'll we'll never thirst again. The kind of bread we'll never be hungry again. And the kind of life that can never be taken from us. And the story of Lazarus illustrates this power. And this is, the, this is how I want to end with us, actually, if that's okay with you. I, I want to say a prayer, but I want to invite you guys just to be open to the Lord expanding, expanding our understanding of, 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 of life, even through painful experiences, okay? If you, if you, if you don't mind, you can pray with me. Um, Lord, we thank you for scripture, which guides us to truth. We thank you that your scripture is, 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 is at once both incredibly com- comforting, um, but also deeply challenging. We recognize that we are um, being called to always have a deeper, richer, more real understanding of who you are and who you have made us to be. And Lord, there's a lot of mystery as we study the scripture together. There's a lot of mystery, particularly around uncomfortable things like suffering and pain. We don't know always why we go through experiences, but we do want to just, if it's possible, we do just want to trust you, Lord, that through these experiences that you're enlarging us, um, you're growing us, and you're inviting us to a more real and uh, practical understanding of who you are. And God, I I pray for everyone here this morning and anyone who's watching online that our our understanding of, of, of life itself could be grounded in you, Lord, and that we could have an expanded understanding of who you are as we go forward. We thank you for your great love and care for us, Lord, and we thank you for this church body. Um, who, who loves you and is committed to following you as best they can, Lord. We thank you for all of these things. In your holy name, amen. Um, well, I love you a lot, and thank you for allowing me to be here with you guys. Um, on your way out, there's some cards, and you guys can sign some stuff for uh, the Hovitz who are coming back. And um, I hope to see you guys again soon, and uh, you're dismissed. So have a great rest of your week, and uh, God bless you.